God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Good morning and welcome to Dr. R.T. Colored River Connections podcast. What an amazing podcast we have for you this beautiful Sunday morning. The Wooden Shack. As always, scripture reading and then reflections. 1 John 5 and 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. There's a poem by Maya Angelou called Equality. You declare you see me dimly through a glass which will not shine, though I stand before you boldly, trimmed in rank and making time. You do own to hear me faintly as a whisper out of range while my Drums beat out the message, and the rhythms never change. Equality, and I will be free. Equality, and I will be free. You announce my ways are wanting, that I fly from man to man. But if I'm just a shadow to you, could you ever understand. We have lived a painful history. We know the shameful past, but I keep on marching forward and you keep on coming last. Equality, and I will be free. Equality, and I will be free. Take the blinders from your vision. Take the padding from your ears. And confess you have heard me crying and admit you have seen my tears. Hear the temple so compelling. Hear the blood throb through my veins. Yes, my drums are beating nightly and the rhythm never change. Equality and I will be free. Equality and I will be free. This Sunday morning, my Atlanta at my Atlanta recording studio, I want to reflect on a photo that was taken in 1921 in Mahia, Texas. In this special photo are seven of my beloved ancestors who have all passed away. And this morning I give honor to to their lives in Texas. In this photo are the following ancestors. My grandfather, the Reverend William Henderson, 
who is holding my mother, Alita. Standing by my grandfather is Annie Mae Henderson. In the center of the photo, standing behind a small table with an open Bible, is my Uncle Bill. Standing by Uncle Bill is my Aunt Lynn. In front of my Aunt Lynn is my grandmother, Annie Beatrice Childs Anderson, who is holding her baby, Uncle Lemuel. The photo was taken in front of their wooden shack, Mahia, Texas. We can turn back the time of seven years earlier. My ancestors and other Henderson children lived in their wooden shack in Oakwood, Texas. My grandfather's land was given to him by his father, Jim Henderson. This land would become a special place for my grandfather. It would be his first house built with his own hands. It would be the place where he would take his newly wedded bride, Annie Beatrice Childs Henderson, who he met in Fairfield, Texas. At this wooden shack, west of the Trinity River bottom, where they would call home for many years, would be the place where their children would be born. William Jr., Lemuel, Samuel, Wendell, Harriet, Alita, Doris Jane, Leah, Annie Mae, and Ezraline. All the Hendersons were farmers. They owned livestock. They produced vegetables. They loved to hunt and fish, enjoying life on their Henderson land for many years until it was stolen. Until one night, memory of my grandmother, all hell broke loose. And from that point, everything seemed to change. In 1972, when I was in Los Angeles at the 50th Henderson Family Reunion, my grandmother informed me of a prophecy from God and how my life was about to change. And I first heard the words from my grandmother. It was to continue the preaching ministry of my grandfather, Reverend Henderson, and preach the word of God. But it was what grandmother said after that that shook my spirit. But that wasn't everything. 
she began to testify about how an incident that she had never forgotten. Her voice changed, almost trembling. She remembered the events concerning her husband, William Henderson. I don't want to miss anything, so let me get the book that was written by my cousin, Dr. E. Henderson Lawson, and yours truly. Turn to page 116, entitled, The Dragging. Let me just read everything to you. The urgency for the blacks to leave their land after the case in 1915 was ushered in by the discovery of oil in the East Texas oil field, the greatest oil producing area yet discovered in the world. Black Farm owners residing on oil-producing lands were forced to vacate their homes and move into nearby cities and towns to permit the drilling and producing of oil and gas from wells under their home. This is William's story as told by my beloved grandmother, Annie Beatrice. It was a night I'll never forget. We weren't doing much the night they came, just sitting around with the kids after dinner when we heard cars outside William jumped up, peeked out the window, and he shouted, get the gun. I grabbed the shotgun, we always kept right near the front door. I cocked it, and then a loud boom of our door being kicked in made me freeze right in my tracks. There were four large white men in hooded sheets, all with shotguns pointed directly at William. Out the door, I could see several white men in hooded sheets surrounding the whole house. Some were in cars, some rode horses, and there were, was a mule and a wagon right up close to the door. They came with shotguns, full of rage, as those four white men stormed into our living room. I was determined not to go without a fight. Several minutes of silence passed until a sudden a blast came through the window. That blast was meant to end the life of William. And after the blast, they held William at gunpoint and snatched my gun from me. Me and the children watched in terror as they forced William out the door. They tied a thick rope around his neck 
and on one end and the other end to the rear of the old wagon. When that mule took off running, all we could see was William running behind that wagon and crying out to God. All I could do was drop down to my knees and cry out to God myself. Hours pass with us weeping and crying out to God for my William. Finally, we heard a loud thump on the front porch. We ran out, found William laying lifeless on the front porch, his white shirt almost completely covered in blood. He was beaten almost beyond recognition. There was a wide gap in his neck from the rope. He was barely alive, fighting for his life, fighting to live and not die. Then I heard those white men shout out, Get off the land. Get off the land. After grandmother told me that story in her Los Angeles kitchen, she went out into the living room and started planning the garden wedding ceremony for Lois and myself that would commence at that beautiful garden in Los Angeles, California. Several days later, we were married by my uncle, the Reverend Samuel Henderson. Standing by my side was my brother, Alan Woodrow Kennedy. Standing by Lois' side was my sister, Linda Kennedy. Let's move the clock forward, if I can, from 1972 to 1989. I was working in Atlanta, city schools, teaching art, and I was pastoring the Friendship Baptist Church in Jasper, Georgia. That was my first church after I graduated from Morehouse School of Religion. And uh, while I was at Friendship, I was provided a new Crown Victoria. That Christmas day in Jonesboro, we had open gifts and We're getting ready to prepare for dinner. When God visited me and shook my spirit, and God had informed me I had to take a trip to Texas, and I was to go alone. Lois packed me some sandwiches and some drink and chips. And I remember 
when I left Jonesboro, headed toward Alabama. I got sleepy outside Birmingham. I pulled the car over in a rest stop and I went to sleep for a little while. I was afraid because of the stories I heard about the Klan and other white people who did not like the civil rights movement. And I had to go through those states. So when I went through Alabama and Mississippi, Louisiana, and then Texas, almost 21 hours later, I reached Mahia. And that was a beautiful homecoming. I hadn't seen my mother in years. And she was living in a double-wide mobile home that was placed by her husband, Woodrow Aglin, on the same piece of land where that photograph was taken in 1921. And my dad had also built a brick chimney in that wooden shack. And you could see that chimney from the window, kitchen window of my mother's double-wide mobile home. The next day, my mother took me to the Carter Cemetery. that housed my my grandfather's grave. And my grandfather was buried between my cousin Barbara Carter's mother and father. I love Barbara. She's a retired professor at Spelman College. During the visit at the Carter Cemetery, I remember kneeling down in my grandfather's grave as it started to rain. And I stretched out my arms to touch the dirt that housed my grandfather. And I started to speak to him in the spirit. I have never done that before. But I felt that he was talking back to me in the spirit. When I got up from that grave, my life would never be the same. Something happened at that Carter Cemetery that changed my life. Then my mother rode me to a wooded area 
down a long dirt road in Butler, Texas. And she pulled the car over at a wooden shack where Napoleon, my cousin, lived and Ruthie B. And they were going into the house because Napoleon had kidney disease. Some people say end-stage renal failure. But he was coming from dialysis. And he looked tired. But he was excited to see my mother, Alita. And so was Ruthie B. But during that visit, as I explain in the book Colored River, my trip to Texas, Napoleon told me about the land and the oil, the trucks coming in and out, and how the land in front of his house was the land they stole from his father Ezekiel and William and Jim. After we had a very, very good visit, we were in the car once again, and we were headed toward the Henderson Cemetery, where a lot of the Hendersons were buried. The Texas trip, I would never forget because the people I saw in Texas that day are now resting with the Lord. But I'm very grateful to God for providing me the opportunity to meet Ruthie B. And Napoleon, my mom again, and Aunt Leah, and others. And I'm grateful that I jumped a fence where they said no trespassing, and my mom said it was the Henderson land, not too far from Evans Lake. Texas was an eye-opener for me because it helped me to gain knowledge of what happened to my ancestors. Let's move the clock of time to 2004. In Atlanta, at my house, I became ill. I kept fainting and my blood pressure kept going up and down. And finally, I was rushed to the hospital. And when I went in, 
I didn't come out until some procedure was done. The doctor said I needed a pacemaker. And they provided me that pacemaker through surgery. I put it in my chest next to my heart. A year later, my mother had died in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Being a preacher, I eulogized and buried my mother outside of Ann Arbor. That's also in the book, Colored River, The Burial of Alita Henderson. And that bothered me for some time. When you lose someone you love so much, and now they're resting with God. Well, in 2008, like Napoleon, my cousin, I was stricken with kidney failure. And I started going to dialysis center Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Every time I went in, I spent four hours in the chair where they stuck two large needles in my upper left arm. And the blood went out of my body into a machine back into my body to cleanse my blood so I could live. I'll never forget 2014. When I was at school on a Friday at noon, I was in my art room and God told me to go down to a first grade teacher's room to have her to pray for me. She got the oil out, put it on my forehead, and she prayed to God for my healing. Her first graders gathered around me, sang a song about God's going to break the chain from my body. The same Friday evening, I was asleep in the chair when a black male nurse named Willie woke me up and asked me a question. He said, Reverend, when you pray to God, what do you pray for? And I said, Willie, I pray that God takes me off this machine. And Willie told me that's the wrong answer. God has already taken you off this machine. So Sunday morning, while my wife and I were getting ready for church, the phone ringed. It was the hospital calling me from the kidney department. And the lady said, that a man died and his family donated his organs 
to the hospital and you are a match for one of his kidneys. Monday afternoon, my wife and the recovery room nurse woke me up and told me the storm was over. I had been given a successful kidney transplant. I still take medication every day, but I'm alive thanks to a man that I never knew. In 2018, something great happened. I met my cousin, Dr. E. Henderson Lawson, on Ancestry.com. And she had some pictures of my ancestors on there. And I found out that they were her ancestors as well. And as we spoke to each other, we realized that we were doing the same thing. We were writing a book and researching about the stolen land. Days later, our spirits came together as one voice speaking on behalf of the dead. And we decided to join forces. I had never met my cousin before. I talked to her constantly on the phone, even now. I love her, she loves me, and we have the blood of the Hendersons running through our veins. But we got together Many times she was at Starbucks drinking her favorite, favorite beverage and writing and talking to me and researching and researching and researching and talking to me. And this was an everyday occurrence. Starbucks, the phone calls, talking to me, I'm talking to her, we're researching. And finally... In 2020, Colored River is here. And as I look back over this podcast, it all started from a prophecy and a photo showing my ancestors standing in front of a wooden shack. A wooden shack, Mahia, Texas. Have a blessed week. Happy Labor Day. Wear your mask. Be safe. Until next week, be blessed. Dr. R.T., Colored River Connections.